0: Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Matthew O'Duncan. Matthew is a an author, um, and some of the series that he has um, authored is the New Terra Sagas and Lieutenant the Lieutenant Riley series, or if you're across the pond, the Lieutenant Riley series. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Um, they do call them lieutenants. Anyway, Matthew, thank you so much for getting on. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your books.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, my name is uh, Matt Duncan. Um, I go by Matthew O. Duncan on my books. And uh, yeah, I do have two series. They are sci-fi fantasy um, and basically start out with The Warrior Stone, which is the first book in the New Terra Sagas. And that is um, sci-fi fantasy because it has both science fiction, and it has a magical element to it. Um, and then Lieutenant Riley series is a spin-off series that I actually wrote as a standalone book uh, in the same universe, but straight sci-fi, different set of characters, different situation. Um, but I just kind of used what I established world building wise from the first series, but it was my Lieutenant Riley book. that was the book that took off for me and actually launched my uh professional career allowed me to go from being a uh, part-time writer to a full-time author and so of course because of the popularity of the book and I love the characters um I end up writing a series and actually that's now a five book series that I'm going to continue on with and I want to revisit the first series and uh write at least one more book for it because I left it on a a, kind of a cliffhanger. So I owe it to my readers to go back and at least finish that.
0: That's very interesting. Um, and people who want to become authors, you know, you, you had this part-time, you know, gig where you were just writing part-time. What were some of your habits, um, at that time and what are they now? Um, now that you're a full-time author?
1: Well, um, When I was working a full time job, uh, I was a um, basically uh, a talent acquisition manager for a national retailer. And I was working, you know, around 50 hours a week. And so I didn't have a whole lot of free time. But when I did, I would use that to write. And writing was kind of an escape for me. So I would sometimes do it before work oftentimes on my lunch hour I would go find a quiet spot and eat my lunch and have my laptop on uh, my lap and just peck away until I ran out of time Uh, sometimes if I really had the bug I would stay up late and work oftentimes working on the weekend Um, and then when I would get a draft done I would give it to my content editor I would often have a second project that I'd work on and I'd work on Writing a second project, my editor was working on one book, and then when she gave that back, I would switch and give her the other book to work on and uh, then go through her notes. And when I was working full time, the process was a bit longer because I couldn't spend as much time on it as I wanted to. And so, my first book took me about two and a half years to come out with. I got a little bit better, my second book was about two years. It got to a point where I was able to produce a book about one every six months. Now, when I got to the point where I was able to step down from my day job and become a full-time author, i uh, that was about a year and a half ago. And it did allow me to spend a little bit more time on my books, but primarily my, my extra time that I had was spent on marketing and on um, doing fine tuning and other developmental stuff from the indie publishing side of it. I spent a little bit more time writing, but not a whole lot. Uh, The creative aspect, you kind of get into a certain pace. And I know people who can sit down and write four or 5,000 words a day. I write with inspiration. If I can produce between 1,000 and 2,000 words that I think are quality in a day, I'm doing great. That might be one to two hours worth of work. But um, just because I have a full day to spend writing, I'm not disciplined enough to be, you know, sit, sit and write for eight hours. So, productivity wise, I'm feeling a little bit more productive um, now than I was when I was working full time. And the trick is, needs to be an escape it still needs to be something that you have a passion for and when you try to push yourself too hard sometimes it becomes like I said a chore and then your motivation stops coming
0: Um, I I, I totally agree with you you know you you have to have a passion for it you have to be able to enjoy what you're doing or else it becomes another job and not that that's necessarily a bad thing but a job can become drudgery at, at some point as well So if if you can have a passion and you can enjoy what you're doing, um, I I think that's that's key. Also, like one to two thousand words a day, like still isn't too bad, you know, and you you still have to make a living. Um, So let's talk about that. You know, you being a self-published author, it's not just all about writing. You have to sell your books. How do you stay on top of marketing? And what are some tips and tricks that you you do to kind of get your books out there?
1: Yeah, I do primarily market through Amazon um, and that's where I primarily sell my books. Uh, but I do some uh, Facebook and uh, a and few other platforms. I do spend a little bit of money on that. Um, I also do events such as the Phoenix Fan Fest, which I did a month, and book fairs when I can. Uh, but the thing is with these uh, face-to-face events, uh, you're lucky to break even. Most writers don't. Most writers end up spending more money than they make because they have to pay for the space. They've got to buy inventory to sell, in a, you know. So they have to pick that in advance payment. They've got to do marketing. They got to do banners. They got to do business cards, bookmarks, uh, whatever to promote that. Now, is that worth it? It depends on your perspective. In the short term, you don't see a lot of return. In the long term, it absolutely helps grow your fan. People love to buy books from authors they've met because they have that connection. So yeah, I do see it as a valuable long-term investment. But I can't afford to cross the country or go to you know places that's too far away because it is a little bit too much out of pocket. Um, I am working full time as an author. I am making enough off my books to live on. But that doesn't make me rich. (laughs) That makes me, um, you know, I'm making what I was at my job before. So uh, and it it fluctuates a little bit. Um, But um, some of my success has come from understanding how online marketing works, uh, like with Amazon. Uh, And there are some courses. there's a lot of folks out there that write one book and then expect to get a million dollar contract. That doesn't happen. Uh, you've got to really kind of understand how it works and how to slowly scale up. And so basically it boils down to, if you spend $10 and you make 11 in a month, you're profitable. And that may not seem like a lot, but eventually if you learn how to hundred dollars, you're making a thousand, then you're doing really well, but there is also a saturation point with your books. So there's only so many people out there to buy your book, regardless of what genre it is and regardless of how good it is, you're not going to sell a million books in a year. It's not going to happen. Um, most successful authors are authors that build an audience that anticipates their next book and uh, writes a book, especially series. Series are successful because people become attached to the characters and they want to see where the characters go next and where the story goes. And so uh, series are typically what uh, full-time authors do
0: to stay full-time right and you, you touched on a point earlier that i want to come back to and that is when you finished a book you would send that to your editor and then you'd start immediately on the next one um i think that is is key as well like you can't just sit and wait for that editor to to return your book um and, and work on that like you need to immediately go on to something new whether that's a different series or the next book in the series but um you have to continue working as you're going along or else, you know, you've just run out of, of time and out of, um, you know, sales and stuff like sales will slow down.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's it. Um, you know, and like you said, it is, if you make it a career, you've got to keep working at it in, you know, you very few authors can sit back and just let the royalties roll in off one work. Right. You know, you've got to, working at it and keep producing and uh readers can be fickle <laughs> they they want they want a standard you know you, if you write a fantastic book you've got to meet that standard they love your work you you maintain the quality uh in your next book they will love it and they will tell the world how much they love it. you just you know, put in half the effort on the next book and slap a a new cover on it in a a fancy title, it'll sell, but your audience will, you know, you'll have a backlash with your audience and the next book won't sell. Um, Now, in my first series, uh, my second book that I wrote in my first series was, in my mind, a sequel, because it was a continuation of the story within the universe. But I switched around the characters. I made the primary characters in from the first book, secondary characters and secondary characters from the first book, primary, the second. And basically I said here in the halfway through the first book. So now I'm going to tell a story about what happened to them. And it was pointed out to me after I published, you really should have made that a spinoff, not a sequel. And then the third book I wrote was more of a sequel to the first book. And what, what's happened is the first book sells, the second book sells, and then the third book only does uh, four out of 10 in continuing readers. So how I addressed that was at the end of the first book, I, on, the, on the very last page, I wrote a letter to the readers. And I explained what I just explained to you mm-hmm. about the second book is part of the series but it is more of a spinoff and the third book is more of a true sequel. And since I've done that sales for both the read through hasn't, has improved. So in other words, I'm selling almost as many second and third books as I am the first book.
0: Nice.
1: So a lot of that was just kind of, kind of goofed and set up the wrong expectations. So before you read the next book, here, here's what to expect, and I find that when you t- when you let readers who really like your work know what's going on and and you're honest with them they'll stick with you because the whole reason they got to the end of your book is because they like what they saw
0: and that's good that you were able to identify the problem and be able to address that because um, lots of people could have been like what you know i'm seeing this forty percent um sell rate when i'm expecting you know 70 or 80 like i don't don't know what's going on and you're able to identify that and be able to address that um, retroactively so that your fans know exactly what's going on and you said that um the lieutenant riley series is is kind of a spin-off um was that when did you know and when did you go okay like i i like this character i want to spin it off
1: well the the funny thing with the lieutenant riley series was I was working in the third book of my first series and feeling stale, and I was I was dealing with major writers block. So I put it aside, and I just kind of had this vague idea of a completely unrelated character. You know, and so I basically said, Okay, so in the first book, the war with the circuit comes to an end that's that's kind of how it resolves and now we're dealing with peacetime so i just made up a character that was in the military during the war and the war is over now he doesn't know what to do with himself so i just started writing it as a writing exercise as a way to clear my mental palate, and just write a different character and I, and I really changed gears on it the first book book was first person and so i was literally telling the story from the character's point of view. And I just wrote this and it was not as in depth and detailed as the other books. This was just more of a roller coaster ride of one event happening for the other and skin your teeth, he's about to die, but he figures out how to save himself and the people around him. And then another catastrophe, and he's gotta be the one to step up to be the hero when he doesn't wanna be the hero. And it's just this one then after the other. And I just wrote it to write it, just to see how far I could go with it. And I wasn't planning on publishing it, but I kinda liked it. And I thought maybe I have something. So I showed it to a couple of friends. I start with my wife and then a couple other people. And everybody loved, it. and so I'm back, and I did the editing process and the cleanup and the content editing and, and the proofing and all that, and I published it as a one-off. Um, comp- it was like I said, same universe, but completely unrelated. None of the characters from Lieutenant Riley book know the characters from the books. It's they're completely unrelated, and so I just kept writing. I just kept writing this character, and. It, it it just became my popular series. Now the last book in the series that I wrote, my wife suggested doing a crossover with the characters from my very first book in the other series because this is kind of the, the last book in this particular series. I am going to continue on with Lieutenant Riley but I'm going to start a new series with him. But in, in this book, I used Roy and Katrina from the first Book Warrior Stone, and gave them a couple chapters, wrote them in, as a way of kind of introducing readers from one series to the other series. And I actually had a person give me a five-star review, and mention in the review, I I went and found this series because I read about the other series and I had to go find out more about them. Oh, nice. And of that little crossover did did feed around and turn readers from one series into readers to the other series.
0: Well, and that's the dream too, right? You want people to enjoy all your books, not just one particular series over another. So how long did it take you from the time that you began writing the first book um, until you could quit your day job?
1: Um, So I started writing in 2011. I switched from playwriting to novel writing in 2011. And... I published in 2014, and then I left my day job in uh, 2021, February of last year.
0: Right. So really not an overnight success. Like you put in time and effort. And I think that's the case for most people who want to do this. Like, like you said before, like you're not going to sell, write one book and sell a million copies and, and just retire rich. Like you have to put in legwork and be able to, to grind it out and be able to um, produce good work over and over in order. If you want to be a full-time author to be able to do that, especially if you're, you're self-published because you don't get that advanced You know that advance from a major publisher. You you have to put in the work and get paid kind of on the back end.
1: Absolutely, and even folks that go with uh, mainstream publishers, uh, there's still a lot of time and effort on their side. A lot of authors discover that even though they go with mainstream publishers, they still have to go do their own promotion. Now, what we're talking about, authors need to go find their find events and find book fairs and. You know, find and basically be their own agent unless they can find somebody to be their agent for them. Um, And I've talked to a lot of authors who have done both mainstream publishing and indie publishing. And some swear up and down that mainstream is the better way to go. Some swear up and down indie publishing is the way to go. The trick with being an indie publisher is you are your boss. You know your results are yours, and you've got to put in the time and effort. And it is, it is like another full-time job. That time you got to put into it, and yeah, if you know Simon and Schuster came to me and said, "We want to give you a contract to write books for us," I'd probably bet it, because they will still be still invest in authors, and they still and try to sell it to bookstores. I mean that's the dream, but the fact of the matter is. The majority of books out there now are uh, independently published and if you go to Amazon and you look at all the books that are on Amazon. it's almost impossible to tell which ones are indie books and which ones are mainstream publishers and Amazon I think it's not my number might be wrong here, but I think right now on the ebooks Amazon is over 60% indie authors.
0: I would I would agree with that number. I don't know exactly, but that's one of the ways how I find people to in interview. As I go to Amazon and look at um, you know books that are that are being sold that are popular that um, or or just books that I find interesting or look cool, you know. And you know you speaking of looking cool, um, book covers sell books. How do, how did you find your artist and where where did he come from for your book covers?
1: My first Lieutenant Riley book uh, cover was actually a pre made that I found that happened to be perfect. It looks like a scene from the book. So that was, and that was pretty inexpensive uh, and I was able to purchase it and they put the the title and my name on there. But then all the books after that, I wanted to have the same feel and the same style. So what I did is a website called 99designs and uh, I ran a, um, uh, basically a contest. For the design of the book, so the second book came out. I put the, I put up a contest. I think I put up like three hundred and fifty dollars uh, for the prize money, and I think that was was two hundred and ninety nine dollars went to the designer, and the rest went to the light. Um, but over the course of a week, I had I think seven designers submit submitted to me. I gave them feedback of what I liked, what I didn't like. And I also asked them to show me uh, that they've got the rights to the art that they're working with. A couple of designers fell off because they had lifted images that they didn't own. Mm. Uh, But the ones I went with were able to actually show me that uh, they had properly purchased the rights to the stock images they were working with. And, uh, but then I picked like three final. And then I give them feedback for a couple more days and they submit uh, different upgrades to the book until I finally pick one. And I've done that with most of my books. Um, There was a, for my first series, there was a person I worked with, and I actually redid the cover of my first book with the help of a uh, book marketing company. Because finally at a point where I could reinvest in the book and and give it a fresher look. Um, and in that case, I let a marketing company do it for me. But I still I I didn't really spend much more with that than I did with my contest. Um, now, three hundred fifty dollars is a lot for people to spend on a book cover. And so that is I for me, that was an investment at that time I was able to make. But there are lots of pre-made covers, really good designers that you can find in place like uh, Fiber um, or other websites for independent contractors. And sometimes you can get a really good uh, book cover design for like 20 or 30 bucks. And you just have to read the, the fine print on those things to make sure that you got some pay and that some follow-up. Uh, I've worked with a number of authors who have had great covers that out really well for them and they didn't spend more than twenty bucks on it. So if you're willing to do the time and the research, you can do that. Um, and if you find a designer that works really well with you, that's fantastic too, because then you can keep returning to that designer and, and get a look that is consistent to your, for your series. We'll add one more thing to this for, if you're looking to, you know, make a book cover for a book. Go up the top 100 for the genre that you want to publish in. Take a look at the, the top 100 books in that in your genre, and nail it down. You know, go to that subgenre that really fits your book, and what books are selling, and try to identify what's the common color palette in the most popular books. Is it blue, black, and orange? Is it white, yellow, and green? For me, sci-fi, a lot of face colors, you know, uh, the dark greens, the dark blues, the blacks, the contrast silvers and grays. Um, And so I look at that when I go to do my book covers uh, because people will identify, if they see your book and it looks like the other best-selling books, then people will make that association. And they're more likely just to assume that your book's on the same standard. Why? because people do judge a book by its cover. And so if you can make your cover look like it came out of the same publishing house as the other big books in your genre, then you're already halfway to the fine.
0: That is a great tip or trick um, to look at the color scheme of the books that in the genre that you want to publish in. Um, And I've noticed that like growing up in the, you know, 90s and stuff like, you could go to the fantasy um, section of Barnes and Noble or Walden Books or wherever books were sold in your area, and you they had the the same color scheme, and you could really tell like artist to artist, like okay that's a you know that's that's this artist or that's the this artist, and um, publishers use that to their advantage, like okay, George, uh, Robert Jordan, Rule of Time, they used Daryl K. Sweet, um, you know David Farland. Use the same, uh, or David Farland's book, uh, *The Rune Lords*. The, Use the exact same artist, like, so, so there was, you know, comparing those books, saying, okay, well, I like, I like this one because the cover and the artist that did this, I, 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 might like this one, so they'll give it a try. So that's a, a great tip or trick. I, I really like that advice. Um, why, you know, you could have written in any genre. Why did you choose science fiction fantasy?
1: Oh, because I'm a fan. I have the books that I want to read and I can't find. So you know, that is, these were stories that were playing around in my mind. And the the first book I wrote, I actually was going to write it as a screenplay. I, I had an idea for a screenplay, but I hadn't fleshed it out enough. I didn't have act one, act two, act three. So I decided to start writing it as a short story. Just write it out. The short story is an outline. But I wrote like 42 pages and I hadn't gotten past what would be act one. And I'm like, I'm not writing a short story. I'm writing a book, but I'm loving it. I, I don't so I don't outline my books. I don't have a beginning, middle and end before I start. I just have inspiration and I want to know what's on the next page and the next page is blank, so I have to fill it out. Now, I'm, I'm one of these people that um, I will read books for pleasure, but if the author doesn't really hold my attention, I start rewriting it in my head and I start getting frustrated because I think there's a better way the characters can go. So, um, I tend to listen to books more on audio than I do read them because if I have a narrator reading to me, then I won't try to manipulate it in my own mind as much as when I'm trying to read it off the page. Uh, but yeah, I'm very picky. I'm a very, very picky reader. And so I just, instead of, being, you know, frustrated with authors, I said, well, if I think I can do better, then I should put my money where my mouth is and write something that's better. And I really went back to school uh, on how to write long form uh, when I wrote my first book because I my first book. And it took me about three months to write the first draft. And I showed it to my wife. She absolutely loved it. She loved the characters, she loved the story, she loved a million things about it. But then she gave me back my 160 page manuscript with red ink on every single page. And now my wife um, has a master's degree in education and uh, plus very avid reader. So as a content editor, she's been very valuable, but she went through and and wrote notes like, you know, you need to clarify this. You need to tell me what this character's thinking. You need to set the scene better. You need to paint the image better. And, and basically told me everything that she saw that would bother a reader. And, and so I went back and for my first book, I went through over 12, And then I tried to submit it to publishers, and no publishers would look at my work because I was an unknown author, and they only took manuscripts from agents, so I tried to get an agent. And I couldn't get an agent to even look at my work because I was an unknown author, and they're only going to represent work that they know they could sell, and if I don't have an established audience, there's no guarantee sale. That's what led me to indie publishing. Because I couldn't get my foot in the door. Now, I've since learned there were a lot more smaller publishers out there that I could have approached, but I'm so glad I didn't.
0: So, you said 12 drafts um, of your first book. Um, How did you stay motivated after like six or seven? Or, you know, instead of just saying, I'm going to scrap this and and start over fresh, how did did you stay motivated?
1: Well, a lot of it had to do with fear. (laughs) And what what my fear was, was for people not to take me seriously as a writer. And so I really, really wanted to put my best foot forward. So my philosophy was if my wife and other proofreaders could still find places to make notes, then I wasn't ready to show it to anybody else in the industry. I wasn't in the practice of working on a second book. I was just working on this one book, and then I would give it to my wife to edit and I wouldn't have it for a week uh, during that downtime and I was still working full time but I was still trying to stay in the writing mindset so I was going to the library and I was looking for best-selling books in similar genres and in my genre and I was checking out books to read, I was checking out books on CD uh, to listen to and on my, on my drive to work, my drive home, I'm listening to audiobooks. And one of the things that I discovered was I found this one series that was a very successful series. New York Times bestselling author. She had like seven books in this one series. And I started with the last book. And I'm listening to it. And I'm trying to pick up what is it that makes this a better book than all the other books? What makes this a bestseller? And I'm trying to listen to see style and and even the mechanics of the writing and structure and structure. And then I went listen to her first book. And when, when I listened for her first book, after listening to her last book, I picked up all the mistakes. And it taught me a lot of things that I needed to avoid myself. In her last book, she got really creative at identifying who's speaking. So she would write, you know, John walked over and picked up the phone And then spoke into it, the phone rang, Susie picked it up, and they would have a conversation, but it was, there was, in two pages, there was only a couple of he said, she says, whereas in her first book, when she wrote dialogue, at the end of every single sentence of dialogue, she put, he said, she said, he said, she said, he said, she said, and when you're listening to that, it's distraction. So that was one example I picked up on out of, you know, you know, several dozen little things that I was picking up that worked and didn't work. And then I, go, I went back and looked at my own work to see if I was making the same mistakes. So that's what I meant about going back to school and really kind of re- reading books from the viewpoint of what makes this good, what can I do to make it better, and how do I apply that to my own work?
0: That's that's awesome. One of the things that I like what you said is, like, you know, you can read for pleasure, but I think when you take a, a deeper look at things and say, asking yourself, why is this successful and deconstructing it, you can improve yourself to become a, a best-selling author as well. Um, you know, you, you, you wrote your first couple of books, but, and Lieutenant Riley was kind of the thing that kind of was a palate cleanser. Were you surprised when that became a, a bestseller when, you know, it, it carried it through?
1: I, I was uh, I was surprised and I was thrilled and the lesson I learned from that was um, I, I, I have a passion for all my books but the Lieutenant Riley book was just fun I, I wrote it just to write something fun for me but that's what my readers picked up on my readers picked up on this is fun and the lesson I learned was I don't need to worry about writing, um, you know, something that's a souffle when I can write something that is hamburger and french fries, because uh, people are still going to love the hamburger and french fries, and so I'm probably <laughs> going to sell more of those. And, and so, um, like I said, I was so worried about meeting the standard I set in my first book. I can write something that maybe isn't the same literary quality as my first book. But as long as it's fun and I found joy in it, well, odds are my readers are going to find joy in it. And and that was the secret to the success. And that's why my Lieutenant Riley series really continued to, you know, sell and grow and, and build that demand. I got people still writing reviews and writing emails to me going, please, please, please keep writing. We want more, you know. And, and one of the big sad actions I had was going back to an event that I'd been at the previous year and having somebody who bought my two of my books the previous year walk up to my booth and say, is book three out? Please tell me book three out. That was one of the biggest thrills I had at one of those events.
0: That's definitely exciting and rewarding as well to have somebody come back after purchasing your books and come back and be excited for the next one. And I think that's a key to anybody's success. And we talked about it a little bit earlier in the interview, but you know, if you're passionate and and enjoy what you do, like you said, the Lieutenant Riley was just fun and joyful and you enjoyed writing it. And it doesn't matter if you're doing a souffle or a hamburger, in my opinion, because people are going to enjoy whatever they enjoy. And, as long as you enjoy what you're writing. And I think that's a key to, to writing and becoming successful is if you enjoy it, you'll be able to, um, have a a longer career than if it, like we talked about before, um, it becomes a job and it's, it's drudgery and stuff like that. Um, so when you became a a full-time author and, you know, you're going to all these places, um, what has been some of the things that you've been surprised about?
1: So, one thing, the last event I went to, which was the Phoenix Fan Fusion, which used to be called the Phoenix Comic Con. Um, they went on hiatus for a couple of years because of COVID. A um, couple of months ago, we went back. And there's a lot of authors that sell there. It's mostly like sci-fi, fantasy, a lot of anime, uh, comic book stuff. Uh, but the fan base for this event changed. Four or five years ago, Star Trek, Star Wars were really big. And and that's the costumes that you saw people wearing when they were at these the events. This last time, I didn't see very much Star Wars. I didn't see very many Star Trek, even though there's a lot of new Star Wars and Star Trek out there. But the fan base of the 30s, 30-something and younger, is much more into anime. And um, much more into actually international brands when it comes to uh, books and comic books. Uh, The younger generation, my kids chose to a global uh, culture than my generation was. It's wonderful. I think that's fantastic. Uh, But my books (laughs) um, are are really kind of geared for 30 plus, uh, for, because that's the fan base that's still really into sci-fi, um, you know, and Star Wars, Star Galactica, that type of stuff. Um, and so that surprised me, it's how just in a few years, the, the fan base changed and got older, which is good, because they're going, they're getting older with me, but it's, it's not, um, it, it's not trickling down like I thought it would. It runs in cycles, you know? So I think that maybe a generation of that might get into sci-fi because before George Lucas came out with Star Wars, sci-fi was a dead um, genre. Uh, it had been really popular in the 50s and early 60s and then it fizzled and the Star Trek TV show didn't do that well until it went to syndication in the 70s. And then Star Wars came out and then all of a sudden sci-fi was the big thing. And it was the big thing with my generation the following generation just isn't that into it. Not not like we are. So that's something you kind of have to be aware of. Um, And if you can write in multiple genres, uh, you're much more likely to capture a wider uh, audience base.
0: That's great advice. And, what you did with your two series is you were able to tie them together. And if people write in multiple genres, whether that's fantasy or, um, an anime style or, or science fiction, if you're able to tie them kind of into together, it will broaden your, your fan base. Um, that's, that's great advice. So do you have any tips or tricks you'd like to share with, uh, the newbie that's trying to, to begin this crazy journey?
1: Write the book that you want to read and, you know, just start with that. Don't, And the second thing is do not show, discuss, or tell anybody the details of the work you're working on until you get the final draft complete. Because everybody will want to give you their two cents on things that are creativity. And the moment other people try telling you how you should be creative is when you lose your creative inspiration. And that was, you know, some of my earlier attempts when trying to when discussing with somebody what I'm working on. And oh, well, what about this? Well, why don't you try this? Well, why don't you have this character? And it it makes it much more harder to be creative because now you're just guessing everything you're doing. So write your story right from beginning to end. Don't let anybody give you input until you've got your story told then you can show it to people and feedback and you can go back and make changes. If you feel the changes work, you can manipulate, you can, you know, uh, cut things out, add things in. uh, But just make sure it's your story from beginning to end before you collaborate.
0: That's great advice. Do you have a set of beta readers that or alpha readers that you send your story out to? And how valuable is that if you do?
1: just a couple and 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 they're they're uh very close friends uh and um a couple of family members and it's it's not that i have any trust issues with that but my ego tends to be very fragile when it comes to my writing (laughs) you know i i can you know in 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 my jobs and all that i've got to wait thick skin becomes my writing I have a very thin skin so I'm very selective with people who I show my work to because they're people I trust to give me honest feedback but not mean (laughs) feedback no and a couple are uh, friends on Facebook who are also writers themselves and we actually exchange work back and forth now the interesting thing about that is our styles are very different. So the feedback that I get, it's always valuable because it's it's the perspective from somebody who doesn't typically read my genre. So they're not always using the same tropes and the same things that I may lean on too much because that's mostly what I consume is books in my genre as a reader. And they give me some perspective that print from what I typically get from folks who are heavy sci-fi readers. Uh, I also um, have somebody who is a teenager and gives me a lot of insight about, um, you know, things that don't make sense to him. And I'm like, okay, so I'm using a phrase here that makes sense to somebody who's in their 40s But doesn't make sense to somebody who's a teenager in their 20s, so I've got to be aware of that, so I'm not, you know, uh, losing certain age groups. And sometimes it's just rephrasing it. Sometimes it's re-explaining it. Um, A a good example was um, kinetic rods. It is literally a steel tungsten dart shot at high velocity from one spaceship to another as a like like a bullet Uh, and it the it's it's been used from books all the way back uh, to old man's war and ship troopers and in a lot of modern sci-fi books but if you were not an avid sci-fi reader it doesn't make sense to you so i i had to go back in and do a brief explanation of what it is so the reader doesn't feel lost because i said we got this and it did this and they can't visualize right because i didn't take the time to so it's having people with different perspectives tell me what makes sense and what doesn't that really helps me do that last refining and helps keep my books uh enjoyable from you know regardless i my books aren't just for the hardcore sci-fi it's a little bit more of a general audience. And lastly, uh, I am very careful about uh, 4 letters. Um I do use them occasionally, like the F word or the S word, um, but only when it really needs that impact. And so I use it so sparingly that when a character does use a 4 letter word, it has that impact that I'm looking for as opposed to a character that uses foul language, like t- turning on a water faucet, you know, Right. and that, it, that people off. It also makes the language muddied. And so that there, it's much harder to give emphasis when they are really scared or really excited or really angry, you know, so, um, and I'll also add this in because you were talking about being family friendly. I do have a couple of books that have intimate scenes in them, but I'm very aware that most reading books in my genre aren't looking for sex scenes. You know, if it's pertinent to the story, I will write enough to show the audience that it's happening where it happened. But it's much more old school like the camera panning over to the fire. You know what's happening, but you're not explicitly showing it. Right. And so I, I do try to really kind of be aware that a 14-year-old might be reading my book. And so I don't want to really get more than PG.
0: Right. No, and that's that's great advice too, that knowing your genre and who you're writing for. So you understand what to put in your books and and, and when to use um, emphasis like, you know, uh, foul language or whatever to in- enhance your story. Like if if you're using it all the time, then it just, like you said, it becomes muddied and people can gloss over it or, you know, it just, just loses that impact. So that's, that's great advice to know your market and to know who you're writing for. Um, so... Matthew, thank you so much for getting on with me today. Go ahead and tell people how they can get a hold of you or find your books. Um, how they can just kind of reach out.
1: Absolutely. Well, all my books are available on Amazon. Uh they're also available on Audible and iTunes as audiobooks. Uh and I am actually I just released a uh bundle pack for the Lieutenant Riley series, so all five books in one bundle. And uh, that's going to be out on Audible in about one to two weeks. I'm still waiting for Audible to approve it and post it. Uh, but if you do listen to audiobooks and you buy your books with credits, this will be—I um, think it's somewhere around 36 plus hours of um, audio for it. So that's a really great deal. Uh, I've actually had people emailing me saying I would get your books on Audible, but. I only have credits and I'm not going to spend it for one book, so uh, there's that. Uh, You can, uh, it is matthewoduncanbooks.com, and uh, you can always email me at authormatthewoduncan at gmail.com. But you can also find me, I do use social media, so I do have a Facebook account. I do have an, an author's page. Um, but usually, if you really want to just know when my books are coming out, uh, go to Amazon, uh, find my author's page, and click follow. And then, whenever I have a new release of, a, of an ebook or paperback or audiobook, Amazon will let you know.
0: Perfect. And then, are you going to any more conventions this year, or was the Phoenix Fan Fusion um, the, the only one this year?
1: This was the one for this year. I, I, I had a couple other uh, that I was trying to get into, but uh, for various reasons, uh, I wasn't able to go. Um, I am looking at next year. I don't have anything on the books yet. Uh, a lot of it's just waiting to see where the world ends up here in the next you know, three to five months. Right. Um, well, I, and a lot of it's just cost. Um, travel right now is just extremely expensive. And I have to be careful with my budget.
0: Right. Well, um, if you're at Phoenix Fan Fusion next year, I look forward to to meeting you again. Um, It was great talking with you. I learned a lot. There were so many golden nuggets that people could pull out um, of this interview. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.